Welcome to the MyLifeInConcert.com podcast. I'm your host, Various Artists, and please join me as I time travel back and revisit almost every live show I've ever seen from 1975 to the present. Hey everyone, I'm Various Artists, and I'm your host here at the My Life in Concert podcast, where I'm revisiting and reflecting on almost every live show I've ever seen since 1975. And today it is concert number one, the very first show I ever saw, which was Roxy Music at the London Arena with Devotion opening the show. Saturday, February 8th, 1975, a very cold Saturday, February 8th, 1975. I'm also publishing this podcast on February 8th, 2020, the 45th anniversary of the concert. 45 is a good anniversary for something music-related, don't you think? And episode one is entitled, The Thrill of It All. Now, the My Life in Concert podcast started as a blog over on Open Salon, and I have my own standalone version. So you can check out the original blog entry at mylifeinconcert.com, where I also have additional graphics, links to videos, etc., etc. And of course, a link to the podcast. So this is the show. This is the big one, the one that started my lifelong live music obsession. And as I discussed in the last episode, the introduction, my passion for music is lifelong. It was there before I even have memories, and certainly all my memories since then. Music is usually accompanying those memories or a soundtrack to those memories or some sort of point along the way. That is just how I am wired. For years, I had been wanting to see shows, and so this was a big, big deal when I finally got to go to one. Now, as I also discussed in the introduction, I had elder siblings and their friends, and they were all around and were bringing in all sorts of great records in the 60s and then in the 70s. And a lot of the initial music I was listening to, as I also mentioned last week, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, the British Invasion from the mid to late 60s. But then the psychedelic groups came in, like the Doors and Jefferson Airplane. Then there was also folk rock, the Birds, and then you had the singer-songwriters, and then some of the heavy artists like Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and all that. So that was my background through the early 70s when in early 73, I discovered David Bowie and Lou Reed and then followed a lot of the glam rock through the year. Now, I'll be talking about that a lot more in some upcoming episodes, especially one on the very first time I saw Bowie in uh, Toronto in 83. So I'll just sort of skim over that for now because I'll be coming way back to it in detail. Okay, so being in London, Ontario in the early 70s and having all these groups like, you know, Susie Quattro and Bowie and the New York Dolls, it was like literally wandering into the Wizard of Oz after leaving Kansas. I'm someone who's always felt on the outside of things and I was always drawn to the more unusual and strange and different things. And literally, it's like you could feel all the color coming into the picture. This was a more inclusive uh, progression in the mindset of a lot of rock music. And for the first time, I really felt welcomed and really saw elements of my personality expressed in some of the groups I was listening to. Now, I discovered Roxy Music right at the beginning of 74. I knew who they were. I knew my brother had the first album, but I don't believe I heard it. And then they put out For Your Pleasure, which my brother had picked up and my sister borrowed it off of him and brought it home. And it was one of those albums from that time, Ziggy Stardust had been a few months earlier, where I first heard it and it was such a shock to me because it didn't sound like anything that I was listening to. And it took a couple of listens to process it. And as with a lot of 
uh, sort of new music that was coming along, and this is going to hit its apex several years down the line during the post-punk era, is I'd hear these records that were so strange it took a few minutes to process or a few listens to process, but once you did, everything else sounded old and dated. And that's one of the things hearing Roxy Music for Your Pleasure did. And then I heard the first album, and it just went from there overnight, complete obsession. For Your Pleasure was a really strange album to process, both lyrically and musically. It wasn't like anything I had heard before. And even if I didn't understand all the lyrics, um, I knew they were racy, I knew they were interesting, I knew it was just interesting what they were pointing to, you know, although I don't think I really truly understood in every dream home a heartache what that was about, you know, a sex doll until maybe a little bit later. My parents particularly hated this group. My dad was really put off by Brian Ferry's voice, which of course is this stylized version of 30s crooning, but it was the stylization that put him off. It just irritated him. And my mother, who called him Brian Ferris, unfortunately my mother tended to get the names wrong of some of our artists. Susie Quattrell was another one. Um, well, I guess with my mother, there was just no winning with Brian Ferry because it'd be bloody Brian Ferry and the strangeness. But then on his first solo album, he did that cover of... Um, these foolish things and it was like well we had this bloody song when we were kids so there's no winning so all through 1974 i'd been playing them relentlessly then stranded came out and then at the top of 75 here in canada country life came out i think it came out late 74 in britain but it was a bit delayed here now as with a lot of the fringier british groups they'd be huge in the uk they really were on more underground in the U.S. And in Canada, it's always been the thing, a lot of those groups are more in the middle. They're more of a big cult band. So Roxy weren't the big um, uh, commercial force they were in Britain, but they were a lot better known in Canada than they were in the U.S. Now, I knew they were coming on this tour to London for uh, Country Life, and I knew my elder siblings were going, but I did not expect to be going. And I didn't find out that I was going till the day of the gig. And so uh, here's how the day played out. My brother and his then wife, they co-owned a unisex haircutting shop. So this is very 1974, 75. And they had an apartment downtown, and sometimes I'd go and stay there on weekends, you know, just to sort of be in the city and for things to do. Now, I know that earlier in the day, my dad took me to a movie. We went and saw The Towering Inferno in the afternoon on this cold February day. Now, of course, me being a 12-year-old and this being the 70s, I love disaster films. I mean, I'm in love with the Poseidon Adventure and Earthquake, and now there was Towering Inferno. I remember my dad not being too keen on it. Uh, but I loved it. Of course, now I watch it. No, oh, boy, it's terrible. It's, uh, good, terrible. It's fun, but it's it's even not on the level of the Poseidon Adventure. But still, to a 12-year-old kid, yay, I'm seeing the Poseidon Adventure, the Towering Inferno. See, I'm getting them mixed up. So at some point in that day, I can't remember when or how the decision was made, hey, why don't I come along to the show as well? And I was absolutely overjoyed. I was thrilled. I was finally getting to see a show. So we went back to their place, had dinner, and then the evening we headed out. Now, it was over at the London Arena, which, funnily enough, is just a few blocks away from where I'm living now. And it was equally exciting and intimidating because you're 12 and you're going to this place where you're around all these adults, which is really funny to me now because we're talking, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds, which, you know, would be kids to me now. 
still, this was unlike any other environment that I had been in, and I'd been so looking forward to it, but, you know, it was kind of intimidating because you're the kid and all this stuff's going on. And there were also probably a lot of things that were going on around me at the time that I didn't perhaps even realize were happening, but... Uh, I would be recognizing and participating in some of those things in just a few years, but I was too young for that just then. So the London Arena was this big kind of shed arena. It was a roller rink. I'd been roller skating there with my cousins. And so it was this big open space, and around the rink there was just basically planks, wood planks in rows, and that's what people sat on. Now, the roller rink is where everyone could stand down below, but my siblings wanted to go sit up in the bleachers. I don't know why. I'm the sort of person I like to go right down front and actually experience the show. But anyway, there we were up on the stands. I also remember being very, very cold in this big, open, cavernous place that wasn't uh, massively well insulated on this freezing night. Now, the opening band was a group called Devotion, and I know that name thanks to a reader of the MyLifeInConcert.com blog who sent that information in, because when I first published uh, the blog piece about this, I had forgotten the name of the opening band. I can't remember a ton about them. I wasn't all that thrilled because they were more in a prog rock vein. I seem to recall this lead singer and this long caftan thing kind of a Demis Roussos kind of vibe happening. But I can't really remember much about them. One thing I did is they did this proggy version of Eleanor Rigby. And of course, that I like because I knew it. But really what was on my mind was, I want Roxy music, I want Brian Ferry, you know, that sort of thing. So once Devotion were finished, it was then just a waiting game for Roxy music to come on. It seemed interminable, just waiting and waiting while the equipment got shifted around with each minute sort of filled with anticipation of what was coming. Uh, finally, eventually, the lights went down, the crowd roared, I was excited, and the band walked on, and they started launching into Prairie Rose. That was the first number of the night, which is the last track off Country Life, the album they were touring. Now, right off the bat, this is a major shock, because, and I don't know why, but I somehow had it in my head because I'd look at these ads in magazines or newspapers that somebody would be touring a particular album. So I had it in my head that when they were touring this album, they were going to come out and just play the album all the way through. So I was expecting it to start with the thrill of it all and go from there. So right away it was, oh, wow, they don't do that. That's not what's going to happen. So that was pretty exciting and got more so when I realized I'd be getting to hear all these tracks off previous albums. Had no idea why I thought that was going to be the case, but hey, one of the mysteries of the universe. The other big shock from the start of the set was, where's Brian? The band came out on stage, they're playing, they're doing the intro to Prairie Rose, but there's no Brian on stage. So that confused me for a few moments. And then, like magic, Brian Ferry emerged from the left side of the stage, snapping his fingers sort of going towards the mic slowly, sort of being the whole lounge lizard cool cat. So, Brian has finally appeared on stage and all is right with the world. They're playing Prairie Rose. He goes to sing the first lyrics and... Silence. Well, silence from his mic anyway. There had been some malfunction that wasn't caught and his mic wasn't working. And it continued to not work through the first 
I can't remember if it was the first two full numbers. I think it was the first two full numbers. And I, I believe Thrill of It All was the second number. But there he was, and no Brian's voice. Luckily, they did get it fixed. The day was saved, and victory was ours. And it was pretty amazing. There they were, and there he was. I remember my then sister-in-law saying, telling me later the look on your face when he walked out on that stage. But you have to remember, this is the first time seeing that. And like, especially back in the day, you didn't really see many of these people on television, especially more obscure stuff. So all of these people existed to me. I knew they were real. But for me, they were like these 2D images. So to see them alive and moving on a stage, it was really kind of surreal because they had only, these people had only existed to me in, in a media or in this unreal medium. And yep, there they are. They're on stage. This is for real. And it was not only for real. The set was amazing. It was a really great first show to see. The band were just amazing right through the night. And Ferry was in good spirits. Of course, he made the bad joke that so many people make when they come here is nice to be in London. Other than that, one of the things I remember about Ferry is he had this incredible stage presence and still does. I'm going to be talking about a recent gig where we just saw him a few years ago. and It was just fantastic. But that really came through, that presence. And he really didn't move around a lot in the evening. He was pretty much stationary. But the show was great. The band was great. The set list, they did most of the new album. I can't remember all the songs. I've been trying to find a set list online if one exists. But it was largely the new album with some of the best tracks from the albums before. So when they finished with Do The Strand, that's what I remember. They finished with Do The Strand and Ferry did this thing where he kind of, at the end of the song where they're doing all the stop-start stuff, um, he sort of did a back kick with his right leg, and that was a big moment. Other than that, he was fairy as Lounge Lizard, but sounded great, sang great. The set list was great. It was just fantastic first experience. Could not ask for anything more. And it set a very high standard for what I would expect when seeing a live gig. And when I say by life standard, I'm not talking about technical musicianship. That's part of it, but generally it's more about the, especially when you're seeing someone live, about the feel and the vibe and um, the feel that they're making because you can sit home and listen to music, but part of the reason you're going to a live show is that kind of magic, that alchemy that happens in that one unrepeatable moment in this particular place with this group of people. So it's more about the feeling and the magic and everything coming together, and that live experience had it all. So while that's how I remember the concert now, I also felt that way then. At the time, I was keeping a diary, you know, one of those little pocket diaries where you have about an inch to record something and you're young and your writing's bad so you can maybe get a couple of sentences in. Well, luckily, I was keeping one at the time. Uh, and it was actually one I'd been given the year before for Christmas and I didn't use. So going through the pages, I've crossed out all the days. So this, it's a listing for Friday the 8th, 1974, but I've crossed out Friday and put Saturday. Uh, and this is on my blog at uh, mylifeinconcert.com. And so here's my review for the day, which you can read in my sterling handwriting on the blog. Tonight, I saw Roxy Music at the London Arena. Looks like I almost spelled arena wrong. They were super fantastic. I also earlier today saw The Towering Inferno with Dad. He didn't like it, 
but I sure did. Oh, that was an exciting day. I also noticed that I used a hyphen for super fantastic. Why I used the hyphen and not two separate words? Guess we'll never know. So, while this was my first concert in 1975, I unfortunately didn't get to see any shows in 76. Now, they started again in 77, actually, a, a gig I'll be talking about. Can I call it a gig? Anyway, I'll, I'll talk about that later. That'll be in one of my compilation episodes. But the next gig proper I'm going to be talking about is from 1978. And from that point onwards, I've seen at least one show every single year of my life from that point on. As I mentioned in my introduction, I'll be launching this podcast series by looking back on one concert from each of my five decades as a concert goer. So, up next in episode three, I'll be time traveling back to my show from the 80s, namely concert number 007007, the Ramones with the Demix at Centennial Hall, London, Ontario, May 20th, 1980. Stay tuned for A Blast of Adrenaline, Great Expectations, and The End of an Era. For the 1990s, in episode 4, I'll be zooming back to Grunge's heyday with concert number 76, Lollapalooza 92, uh, featuring the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Ministry, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Lush, and more at Molson Park Berry, Wednesday, August 5th, 1992. Skipping into our new century, episode 5 will look at the very last time I got to see David Bowie, and this episode will highlight my featured gig for the Nauties, his show with the Polyphonic Spree at the Corral Center, Ottawa, Friday, April 2nd, 2004. And finally, Episode 6 takes in a concert from the just-completed 2010s, with show number 175, Leonard Cohen, Friday, December 7th, 2012, at Scotiabank Place, Ottawa. Just a reminder that you can read my previously published blog entries for some of these and many other shows at mylifeinconcert.com. Also check out my VATV, My Life in Concert channel on YouTube, where I post videos from shows I've attended or related musical stuff, as well as follow us on Facebook and our soon-to-be-launched Instagram account. Once again, I'm your host, Various Artists, and thanks for stopping by and having a listen. Until next time, ciao for now. <laughs>